Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Man, let's give it up for the worship team. Didn't they do great? Great job. Great worship this morning. Man, I just... You just find yourself just amazed at all that the Lord is doing. And uh, you can just sense His hand on it. And so, hey, let's welcome our online crowd. We're honored to have you with us this morning. If you're watching online, um, we're honored to have you. Hey, a couple things real fast. Uh, I want to dive into the Word. Um, I really do believe I have um, a message from the Lord for us today. But don't forget tonight, we have prayer here at the church tonight. It's the last Sunday night of every month. We're doing prayer. Um, It's come and go. Um, Is it six? I can't remember. I'm sitting there. I was like, I cannot remember what time it starts. But I just know I'll be here. But um, 6 o'clock to 7.30, it's come and go. But listen to me. If you're fighting a battle, if you're fighting a battle in your life, and your family, yes, we want to worship. We want to praise. But, man, we need to pray. We need to pray. And so, man, come join us tonight. Like I said, it's come and go. Drop in for 10 minutes. Stay for the hour and a half. But just stop by and spend some time with the Lord in prayer. I promise it will be worth it. And, uh, and man, it's just, I just can't, I just can't um, express enough that prayer is the key to all that God is doing. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to um, Luke chapter 1. Open up to Luke chapter 1. Last Sunday, Pastor Jason taught us from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. Didn't he do a great job last week? Did a great job preaching to us. And he talked to us primarily about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and the miracle of their soon-to-be son, John the Baptist. And Elizabeth, who was John's mom, is a relative of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, And that's who we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Now, let me tell you, I was supposed to cover verse 26 through 56, and I got to verse 35, and I was already 45 minutes worth of content, and I was like, all right, we're going to have to figure something out, and so we just said, all right, we're going to shrink this down, and uh, because there's so much here, and I think we need to take a good look at the life of Mary end of Joseph, but very specifically Mary, because I I do think there's some confusion surrounding her life. And I believe there is a variety of different reasons why there's confusion surrounding Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I have to be honest, I think some of the biggest reason for confusion is some of the teachings of the church. And please hear me, this is no attack on anybody because I'm talking about the church globally. But I believe there's some confusion from some of our Catholic teachings to some of our Protestant teachings. There's some confusion around the the mother of Jesus. Some give her way too much credit and almost make her a deity, while others almost ignore her. And when we ignore this story, we miss out on a lot of what God is doing. And it's like we try to push the pendulum too far the other way, and we're like, let's just ignore Mary. We can't ignore her. This is a powerful story. And I believe that God has something that he wants to speak to us. This is one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture, all the way from verse 5, where Gabriel starts speaking to uh, to Zechariah, to where we find ourselves today with Mary. I don't want us to be ignorant of her life, of her um, story for us. 
But one of the beautiful things is because of the book of Luke and because of his attention to detail, we can really dig into this story and see some things come to life. And my goal today is to really bring Mary, the mother of Jesus, to life to you and to show you who she is, but to really just begin to paint um, a picture, um, this continual picture that we're trying to paint here at Desi this year of who Jesus is in all of our lives. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph and this miracle conception. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I ask that in these next few moments that we have together, I just ask that your presence just overshadow us and just sit in this room. And we thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit, that is already here. Lord, I pray today that as I communicate um, this beautiful story of, of you, that I do an adequate job of bringing life to this miracle. Thank you for clarity of thought. Thank you for giving us ears to hear. But not only that, thank you that we have a heart that responds to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and um, I know some of us, we, um, you want to bring in a paper Bible, but it's like, I've heard people, it's too dark, and I always thought, man, that's crazy. Within the last six months, though, I don't know what's happened to my eyes. I think, I think we've turned the lights down or something in the room. I'm not sure, and uh, so I actually went to the eye doctor this week, and it's like, can you tell my church to turn the lights brighter? So bring your Bible. We'll get the lights brighter so everybody can see. But man, I encourage you, take notes, follow along at destinychurch.me, and you can go to our media section. You can see the notes. But I encourage you, take notes, because I believe that what we're delivering is life-changing stuff. And so let's start out. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, and I'm going to break these verses down pretty much one by one today. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. It's important to remember that six months prior to where we find ourselves in today's story, Gabriel was sent to prophesy to Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth who remember, as Pastor Jason taught us last week, they were well beyond childbearing age. But Gabriel tells Zechariah and Elizabeth, hey, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to name him John, and he will prepare the way for the Messiah that is to come. Now, I don't know about any of you, an angel appearing to a man is a story in and of itself. I have, I've been alive for 48 years, and I've heard the whisper of the Lord, but I've never had an angel stand in front of me. Any of you ever had an angel you like knew you saw anybody? Uh, this is an incredible story, but one thing that's really important that we get from this story, and Pastor Jason mentioned it last week, but this broke a 400-year silence. 400 years, there had not been a whisper from the Lord. 400 years, no new prophets were raised. 400 years, no whispers to the people of God. 400 years of silence. Fast forward six months from the birth, the, the birth announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth about John. We now have another time when the Lord speaks, another prophecy. So 400 years of silence. And then two words from the Lord within six months. This is pretty significant. 
This time, though, the prophecy is not to a man of prominence. This time, the prophecy or the word is not to a priest in a temple. This time, it comes to an insignificant, unknown little girl. But not only that, I want you to see this today. Not only that, we've moved geographically. We've moved north in the land of Israel. We've moved from Jerusalem, the capital city, to we've moved now to a region called Galilee, to a city, and you can really take it loosely, the word city, um, in biblical times for Nazareth. It was just kind of a spot on the road. And you can actually see this on the map. They'll show this to you here. But in the bottom, you see Jerusalem. And where it is red, you see Nazareth. That is where this story today is taking place. But also, just to kind of help paint this picture a little bit, Jerusalem was the capital city. Nazareth is a backwater town with a bad reputation. And this is where Jesus is born. So much so, so much this town has such a bad reputation, so much so that Nathaniel, in John chapter 1, verse 46 said, could anything good come out of Jerusalem, come out of Nazareth? This is kind of the common sentiment of that day of Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth was so obscure and insignificant that it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not on any of the major trade routes. All important roads bypass Jerusalem. It's far from um, any religious or cultural significance. Another important thing to note about Nazareth is Nazareth was located in Galilee. Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Because of its close proximity to the Gentile regions. But why is this important? And this is in your notes. God's choice for Nazareth to be the birthplace of Jesus reveals, and again, this is a major theme in the book of Luke, but God's plan for Jesus to be born in Nazareth reveals that Jesus is the Savior of the entire world. Jesus did not come for the religious elite. Jesus did not come for just one people group. Jesus is the Savior for all mankind, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. Every single person, Jesus is the Savior of them. Let's look at verse 27. The angel Gabriel comes to a, a woman, a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And there's some things that we're going to get to as we build this, but I've, I really just want you to really begin to get an idea of who the characters are in this story. So not only does Gabriel's announcement now move us from Jerusalem, but now takes us to Nazareth, an insignificant small village. Gabriel is now talking to a young woman named Mary who is described as a virgin, untouched by a man. And we also know that she is engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, Jewish culture um, divided the process of marriage into three phases. It's important that you get this specifically for this story. Um, Jewish culture divides marriage into three stages. The first stage would be engagement. Um, in the engagement stage, a suitable match would be proposed most often by the parents. They were matchmakers, and they would put this couple together. And after this couple spent some time together and the family spent some time together and they approved the match, 
they would enter into a formal agreement and a contract would be signed and a dowry would be given. A dowry is a a monetary gift or land or possessions, things like that would be given to the bride's family. The groom's family would give to the bride's family. And once that contract was signed and sealed, and this usually happened in a synagogue, the couple would enter into the second stage of marriage, the second stage of engagement, and it was called betrothal. The betrothal period, this is important that you get this, lasted no less than nine months. Sometimes up to a year, but it lasted no less than nine months so they could guarantee that the girl was in fact a virgin. It was done so that she could, they could ensure that she was not pregnant. And during this time, during this betrothal period, it's also important that you get this. It's different than like our relationships today. The bride and groom, even though they had not yet had the marriage ceremony, they were bound to each other as husband and wife. It wasn't fully like they hadn't had the ceremony, but it was legal. And the only way they could break this covenant was through divorce. This is the only way. Furthermore, if a woman was found to be pregnant during the betrothal period, she was viewed as an adulteress. And she might be publicly stoned to punish her for her sins and to vindicate the groom's honor. And again, it's important that you get all this because we've all heard the story And there's parts in it that they're read. You're just kind of like, huh, how does that connect? This is why. Remember in this story, the groom, in Joseph's case, as was their custom, if the bride was found to be pregnant, he had the right to end that agreement. He could break it off. He could settle the matter privately to avoid a public scandal for himself and his fiancée. Now, when the waiting period ended and the groom built a new living quarter for his bride, the third stage of the marriage process would come together and they would have a wedding ceremony. And during this time, the families would come together and they would host a great feast. Most often, these feasts, this marriage feast would last seven days. Now, I was thinking about this. Tasha and I have had one of our children married, a daughter, After about an hour over that thing was over, I was done. I was thinking, can you imagine seven days of celebrating? I I was like, all right, I've already spent all my money. Let's just end this party and you go eat McDonald's on your own. Get out. I don't, I'm like, leave. I got to go home. But I'm in seven days. But this is important. And it was only after all the stages were completed the, the engagement, the betrothal, the ceremony, the feast. It was only after all that was completed, listen to me, then at that point the marriage was consummated. What do I mean? Intimacy could not happen until all the stages were complete. So to understand where Mary is in this story, she was a betrothed virgin. She is in the second stage She's waiting for the celebration of their vows and the consummation of their marriage. So please hear me. When Gabriel comes to her, Mary and Joseph had not been intimate. 
She was untouched, but there was, they, she was in the middle of the process. So this was not some quick process that's happening. We'll come back to this in just a moment. Another thing that's important in this story is though Joseph was just an ordinary carpenter, and, and it's important that you get this. I don't know if it's important, it's interesting. A carpenter during biblical times would most likely not be somebody that worked with wood. A carpenter in biblical times would have most likely been a stonemason, somebody that worked with stone. So Jesus was probably not the son of a, a, of a house framer with wood, but he worked more with stone. But even though Joseph was simply a carpenter, this is important to note, he was of the lineage and the line of King David which is very important because prophecy tells us that the Messiah will come from the line and lineage of David. And it's also important to note because I know that people can get confused. Well, then how does Jesus come from the line and lineage of David because he's not the biological son of Joseph? Well, please hear me. When in Jewish culture, when someone is adopted into a family, it's a little bit like our culture, but they, that adopted son, especially the first adopted son, becomes the legal heir. So all rights and privileges of Joseph's now fall to Jesus. So Jesus, we see this in the genealogy of Matthew. Matthew's genealogy establishes Jesus' connection to David's throne through Joseph. But I also think it's important, I don't want to blow your brains and I don't want you guys to panic and think I'm teaching heresy um, or any of that. And I'm going to try to break this down for you when we get to Luke chapter 3. But I do think it's important here that we understand this. I also believe that Jesus can trace his lineage to David through his mother Mary. And you can go and le read the... the, the um, genealogy in Matthew 1 and read it in, in Luke chapter 3 and you'll see some similar names but there's some different names and I'm going to show you how I believe Jesus can also trace his lineage to his mom Mary but I believe we can say in every legitimate sense that Jesus was both legally and physically number one the son of man and the son of God and born to be Israel's true king let's keep moving Ezekiel uh, or um, Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 28. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now this word greetings, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it can be translated as rejoice, or it can simply be translated as hello. So Gabriel is simply telling her, Hello, favored woman. Now this word favored, though, is important. Get this, take some notes here. This word favored is a Greek word which means that God's grace has been bestowed upon her. And important to note here, again, coming back to some of the confusion from how we've been taught in the church concerning Mary. The Greek translation of the statement about her being a favored woman and that God is with her and that God's grace has been given to her. Listen to me. It means that she was simply a recipient of an action completed by someone else. Meaning, Mary, just like you and I, was a recipient of God's unmerited favor. 
God's favor on Mary, please hear me, did not set her any higher than you and I. She is not a mediator between God and us. There's only one mediator. His name is Jesus. Mary can't bestow grace upon you just like I can't bestow grace upon you. For anybody to teach differently than that, please hear me. This is my interpretation, but I believe that's a misinterpretation of Scripture. Scripture tells us there's only one mediator. His name is Jesus. Yes, Mary is a highly favored woman. She is special. She has a high calling. She deserves recognition, but please hear me. She is still a human being just like you and I. Please hear me. She was not sinless. She wasn't. For the Bible tells us there's only one person who was born of a woman, who was not a sinner, and that was Jesus. All the rest of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mary was not sinless. She was not flawless. She is not a deity. She is a human being. We don't pray to her. We pray to God. And, I, and please, I, and there's no, there's no coming against anybody if that's how you've been raised, taught, or believed. That's just how I believe. That's how I interpret Scripture. Verse 29 tells us, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, what can the angel mean? So what we see here is is Mary is really struggling to understand the angel's greeting. And we're going to break this down in just a moment, but it's different than Zachariah's confusion. Um, But Mary is wanting to know, how can this be? I'm an unknown young woman, insignificant. One thing I I don't know if I told you this, but most believe she was probably 12 to 13 years old. Can you imagine? She's unknown. She's insignificant. She's young. Yet she's highly favored of God. And in her brain, she's asking, what have I done to deserve this recognition? Let me ask you, have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt unknown? Have you ever felt insignificant? Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt unnoticed? Have you ever felt too young, too old? From an insignificant town, from an insignificant country, have you ever felt that way? Yes, we all have. But Mary's story shows us, listen to me, God not only uses priests, but God uses insignificant people from insignificant places with no talents, no giftings, no, no, no schooling, just insignificant people. And I don't know about you, but that... That encourages me because I'm just a boy from Nixon, Missouri. Yes, I know Jason Bourne was born there, but that does not have to be Bourne fans to get the, get the little joke there. But I'm just a kid from Nixon, Missouri. My graduating class had 130-some people in it. I think I remember the city limit sign when I was in high school said something like 2,662 people. See, the story of Mary encourages me because I'm nobody significant, but God can still use us. Verse 30 continues with, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel said to her, for you have found favor with God. Now, Gabriel assures her, you have nothing to fear. And Pastor Jason alluded to this last week. You say, don't be fearful, but I'm just telling you, if an angel appears to me, like I was here late last night, I, I, got a, I couldn't sleep, I was here 5 o'clock this morning, about 5.30. If I walked in the room and an angel standing here and says, Chaz, I got to talk to you, I'm not staying there and saying, oh, it's an angel. I'm walking out the door and I'm calling our security and saying there's a dude in the room. I'm just, you know, 
Somebody help. Uh, it's just, it's, but the angel says, hey, you have nothing to fear. Here's why, though. He says, I've not come to you with a message of judgment, but a message of blessing. You have nothing to fear. And he says, you found favor in God's eyes. And if we can just pause from the story of Mary for just a moment. As I was studying this week, I felt touched. I think somebody here today needs to hear this. You are highly favored. You are highly favored. Somebody watching online today needs to hear this. You are highly favored. He loves you. He sees you. He knows your name. He wants to bless you. But there's somebody specifically, and I, and I don't even believe it's one person. I believe the Lord told me this week, multiple people, you've been living in fear and in the unknown. And some of you today, you've been living with word curses and lies from your past that tell you you're not enough. You've been living, some of you, with your own mistakes and you've labeled yourself a failure. You've said to yourself, I'm a nobody he doesn't see me. God doesn't care. Can I tell you today, that is a lie. God sees you. It's time today, just as the angel Gabriel looked at Mary and said, don't be afraid. It's time that you stop letting fear control you. And it's time that you grab a hold of the promises of God that are bigger than anything you've done. They're bigger than anywhere you've been. They're bigger than where you were born. They're bigger than your circumstances. They're bigger than your mistakes. They're bigger than your past. And today I want to tell you, you are, because of Jesus, Mary's son, more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. You are chosen. You are his masterpiece. So when God stands before you and tells you you are favored, that is something. So I'm not sure who this is for today, but you need to hear me declare this to you. Stop living in fear. Stop living defeated. Stop living with the word curses that have been spoken over you or you've spoken to yourself. And please hear me today. You need to hear this. This needs to grip somebody's heart today in this section and this section and here and watching online all the way to here. Listen to me today. God says to you, you have found favor with me. Favor. Blessing. So stop living in fear. And start living under the promises of God that are yes and amen. Let's continue. Verse 31 through 33. I also encourage you this week, and it's in your talk at Overnotes, but look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. It connects this story. It's a beautiful story. But he says this, you will conceive, the, again, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, this name Jesus is significant. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Verse 32 says, He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will not end. And there's so much in these three verses. And I'm telling you, as I was studying this, and Jason talked about it last week, there's so much stuff 
here. I could take hours on just single verses or three or four verses. You could just take forever. But I just encourage you, dig into this story. But for the sake of time, let me just say this. Gabriel told Mary, yes, you, Mary, you might see yourself as insignificant, but what's coming inside of you is not insignificant. He is the son of God. He is God himself. And he will be called the son of God. He will be called the son of man. He will be the son of the most high. And he is going to fulfill prophecy because he is coming in the line and the lineage of King David. And his reign will not end. Today, tomorrow, forever, Jesus reigns. Let me say that again. Today, tomorrow, forever, Jesus reigns. And that's what Gabriel told Mary. And that's what we know today. Our God, Jesus, is still seated in heavenly places, and he's interceding on your behalf, and his reign will never end. This is important. And as a young Jewish girl, Mary would understand what this means. She understands when this prophecy comes, because remember, like I said, go back to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Connect these stories. Mary knows she's a Jewish girl. She's been taught about her Messiah. She knows that when Gabriel tells this and says a son is coming and this is happening and this is happening, she knows that he's talking about the the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the Savior of the world. But notice, and this is where we're going to look at Zechariah's response and Mary's response, but notice what Mary says in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Remember last week, Zachariah asked a question. And he kind of got in trouble for it, right? Was it, was it punishment? Was it discipline? I, I don't know fully, but something happened there. Mary's question, though, it differs dramatically from Zachariah's. I want you to hear me. Zachariah asked for a sign. Zechariah is saying, how will I know this? Zechariah is looking at his, his age and his wife's age, and he's saying, this is impossible, this can't happen. How many of you have ever asked for something from the Lord, and he did it, and you said, I can't believe it? Zechariah is saying, yes, we've asked for this for years, and now you're telling me, what he's doing is he's telling God, he's almost telling God you're a liar. He's debating, he's, he's like, it's, this is impossible, this can't happen, this can't be. He's looking at his age and he's saying, the time for the miracle has passed. I want you to picture, it's almost like Zachariah is saying, I've got a cane, my wife's got a walker, and we both wear the pins. The time has passed. I've got hearing aids, I've got false teeth, there's no way we're making a baby. What he's doing, he's expressing doubt and unbelief. Mary's question, though, on the other hand, I want you to get this, is referencing genuine confusion. Here's Because here's what it's really saying. How can this be since I don't know a man? And not in the fact I know him by name, but she hasn't known him intimately. I haven't, I haven't lied down with him. How can this be? I'm a virgin. She's asking a practical and reasonable question. And this is, this is one of the most important things that you get here. She's saying, how will this happen without a man? And I want you to get this because I, 
How I read this, Mary believes what the angel Gabriel is telling her. I believe immediately she believed, immediately faith, and she understands it to mean that conception is going to happen very soon. But remember, as I told you at the beginning, Mary is a betrothed virgin. She's in the waiting period, so she knows that she's not only months from marriage, she's months from lying with her spouse, then multiple months from conceiving and birthing that child. And she also knows God is not asking her to sin. She's simply saying, I believe you, but how is this supposed to happen? I believe you, but it's almost like she's saying, I believe you, but how are you going to make it happen? Perfect that we sang this song today And Jason read the scripture from Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, talking about fighting our battles. Mary's saying, I I can't make this happen. I think this is one of the most beautiful stories in scripture that tells us there's some battles you simply need to get out of the way. There's some battles where all you can do is say, yes, Lord. And Mary's saying, yes, I believe, but can you tell me how it's going to happen? And We're almost done. This is where the story just gets so beautiful. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit, God's power. This is Gabriel again talking to her. He said, God's power will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Everybody say overshadow. It's important we get this word. So the baby born to you will be holy. Everybody say holy. And he will be called the Son of God. So this is prophecy that's happening and prophecy that's being fulfilled. I think it's important that we get this and I, I had never heard this um, until I started studying this. Um, Muslims teach that the Holy Spirit literally laid down and had sex with Mary. Can I tell you that is a false statement? The Holy Spirit, please hear me today. This is a holy moment. The Holy Spirit did not have sexual relationships with Mary as some have taught. But rather, I want you to get this, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, just as the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the earth's waters and helped to bring light into a dark world, God is saying that He, the Spirit of God, is going to overshadow Mary in that same way that He hovered over the waters and created. He's saying the whole the Spirit of God, the creative force that was there from the beginning is going to hover over Mary and He's going to bring the light of the world to humanity that's in desperate need of light. There's not going to be sexual relationships. It's literally a overshadowing. This word overshadow, it means to Cover with a cloud. Another interpretation of this word overshadow means to surround, to envelop, as in the Shekinah glory. How many of you would be honest and say you have never heard the word Shekinah? Raise your hand if you've never heard the word Shekinah, all right? Shekinah is in Scripture. As you begin to dig into it, it's not, it is a Greek word, and it literally means a dwelling or a settling in of God's presence. I want you to picture um, one of those mornings where the fog rests all the way on the earth 
and you can't see, like beyond your hand. That is what the Shekinah, it is literally a settling in of God's presence. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament, in the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. We see that story. It is literally saying that, as Gabriel is saying, I am going to surround her. I'm going to overshadow her. I'm going to envelop her and the presence of God is going to settle in and create life on the inside of her. I like to think of it this way. When God overshadows you, he brings life inside of you to areas that were dead. And what we're asking for at Destiny Church is that God would overshadow us, that God would surround us, that his glory would literally settle in on this place. I think the virgin conception is one of the most important parts of this story. To, uh, please hear me. I told you I had a lot. I'm going as quick as I can. Are we, are we okay? To fulfill prophecy, Jesus has to be, please hear me, he has to be both son of man and son of God. The virgin conception is foundational to Christianity. I'm standing here today and telling you if you've ever had doubts, let those doubts be removed. This was definitely a virgin conception. How? A human being by the name of Mary and the supernatural, incredible, wonderful working power of God joined forces to produce the Son of God who was holy, yet also the son of man. And I think if, I, if you get anything today, it's important you get this. Why did he have to be both? He had to be the son of God so he could not be touched by sin so that he could be holy. But he also, on the other hand, had to be the son of man so he could be touched by sin. So he could be touched by your feelings and could be touched by your infirmities. But the God side of him didn't allow him to sin. So he could go through sin, he could experience what you felt, yet he remained holy the Son of God, and the Son of Man. Do you get this? It's important. Notice verse 36. Mary didn't ask for a confirmation or anything, but the angel gave her one. And he, I think he gave it to show her that God can do the impossible. Listen to this, verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. They can't say that anymore, right? But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. And I love verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. I love, and I know there's some differing opinions on the Passion Translation, and I don't, I don't read it very often, but sometimes I just want something to come to life. And I read the Passion Translation for verse 37, and listen to what it says. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. And let me tell somebody today, nothing is impossible with God. I love this. Gabriel tells Mary, you know your cousin, the one who's barren? Yeah, she's not barren anymore. For God has given her a son, and she's now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And I think that by the angel Gabriel telling Mary that Elizabeth is pregnant, he's given confirmation to Mary, but as a result, he's giving confirmation to us, listen to me, that God works yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever in unexpected and in supernatural ways. And someone needs to hear this today. Somebody, like here's what the Lord's been telling me. 
is what he's going to do through the gospel of Luke for us here at Destiny Church is he's building our faith. He's building our faith. Someone's faith needs to hear this today. God still does the impossible. God still does the unexpected and the supernatural. Listen to me today. God, his power knows no limits. It knows no ends. God is not bound by the laws of human nature. If God decides today to look at your cancer in your body and say, enough's enough, he can stop it today. God is not confined by doctor's reports over you. God is not confined by what's been barren inside of you. God can at any moment save a prodigal. God can at any moment raise the dead. God can at any moment do the impossible. Why? Because he's the creator of the world. God keeps his promises. And the pregnancies of both Elizabeth and Mary, despite old age or despite a lack of sexual intimacy, both prove that God can do the impossible. And today somebody needs to hear this. God can do the impossible in you. God can do the impossible in me. And here's what the Lord told me. God can overshadow your womb. Remember that word, overshadow? God can overshadow your womb. God can overshadow your marriage. God can overshadow your finances. God can overshadow your spouse. God can overshadow your child that's running from him. God can overshadow this church. God can overshadow this country. Why? Because he's God and he still does the impossible. Does anybody believe that today? How many of you believe that God can do the impossible? See, it's a difference though. Here's the difference though. Some of us say, I believe that he can, but how many believe that he will? You see, I believe that he's still on the throne. I believe he's still moving. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. I believe whatever you need today, God can do it. And this story paints this beautiful picture that God still does the impossible. And let's wrap it up with verse 38. This is honestly one of my favorite responses to a promise from God. Listen to what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. I am your servant. And may everything you've said to me come true. And then the angel left her. I am your servant. What a statement. The Greek word translated as servant indicates please hear me this is important that we get this it's important why this is why we want to break down scripture because we read it with our westernized english eyes and we don't get the depth of the words but there's depth in this word this word simply does not mean somebody that just does a little bit for somebody here's what it means the greek word translated as servant indicates a person who has voluntarily sold themselves into slavery usually to pay a debt or to avoid destitution Mary, listen to me, she uses the word to express complete submission to the Lord. What is this statement? This is a lordship moment. You are Lord. You are Lord. I am your servant. In other words, here's what Mary is saying. I willingly commit myself to the unconditional service of the Lord. I surrender. I need to pause right here. Somebody needs to get this. Mary said, I willingly surrender. I lay down all my desires. 
All my wants, all my wishes, I lay it all down. I lay it all down. You are Lord of all. Whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you say, wherever you ask me to go, I'll go. I'll pay the price. And yes, Lord, I understand this is expensive. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. This, her entire life is changing. But I willingly surrender. You are Lord of my life. It's very important that you get how Mary responded today because how many times have we been asked to do something from the Lord and our first response is not, yes, you are Lord. Mary didn't say this is impossible. Mary didn't, didn't say, I, I, I don't believe what I'm saying. It can't happen in me. Choose somebody else. <laughs> Mary didn't say, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I'm going to pass. She didn't say, you know what, there's no way I'm going to live my life in front of people telling me that I'm an immoral woman or an adulteress. She didn't say, there's no way I'm going to do this and have people telling me that my son is illegitimate. She didn't say, there's no way I'm going to spend the rest of my life defending my honor and trying to make sure people believe that I was a virgin when this happened. No, quite the opposite. She responded with immediate belief, complete submission, and total trust in the Lord. Think about this today. When Mary responded with faith, this is why it's so important that we don't ignore Mary. She is a perfect example. Yes, she's a human, but she's a human just like us. When she responded in faith, she immediately faced the potential of public shame. This is why I believe it's so important that Jesus even tells us to consider the cost when considering to be a disciple of Jesus. There is a cost. Mary says, I'll pay it. She immediately faces the prospect of divorce. She could likely wear a scarlet letter for the rest of her days and be forced from her family and be stoned or become destitute and become homeless. Can you imagine the insults? Can you imagine the innuendos? Can you imagine the names she might have been called? Can you imagine the cost? Yet in one moment of unflinching obedience, her life forever changed. Yes, it's an incredible privilege to be the Son of God, the mother of the Son of God, but it also comes with a high price. You know, as I was thinking about it, doesn't her response sound like that of Esther in Esther 4.16 when she said, if I perish, I perish? Doesn't it sound a lot like Isaiah when he said in Isaiah chapter 6, here my Lord send me? Doesn't it sound a lot like Ruth when Ruth said to Naomi, uh, your people will be my people and my God will be your God? Doesn't it bring to mind in Job chapter 13, verse 15, when Job said, hey, even if he kills me, I'm going to put my hope in him? Doesn't it sound a lot like Jesus in the garden when he prayed in Luke chapter 22, hey, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And Destiny Church, let's wrap it up. This is how, this is how faithful people respond to God's call. Even if we don't fully understand it, my answer is yes. My answer is yes. My answer is yes. My answer is yes. I am your servant. What do you want from me? What do you need from me? My answer is yes. And this is our challenge today. This is our challenge for the entire year. Yes. Yes. Whatever you want. Whatever you need. Whatever price you pay. Whatever you want. I willingly surrender my life to you. My answer is yes.
Look at your neighbor and say, my answer is yes. And please hear me, I know I can't help but notice some of us, even in those moments, can't say that. Our challenge today is, may we always be able to say, my answer is yes. What high price to say my answer is yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.